Hello and welcome to another episode of the PC Gamer UK podcast. My name is Sam Roberts, I'm the editor of PC Gamer in the UK, and I'm joined today by... Phil Savage, deputy editor. Andy Kelly, section editor. You said that with a lot more confidence yeah. this week. I, think I don't know let's why change that. we always read out the jobs, we don't yeah. need to. Yeah, oh, let's, yeah, Should we just go, hey, this is... Let's do, let's do it casual, well, like, hey, well, this is Andy, hey, this is Phil, well, hey, this I'll, is Sam. I'll say, How's it going? <laughs> How's it going, guys? Well, yeah. I, might, I might say the editor bit, because it makes me feel important. Yeah. yeah. See, that's yeah. It. You, you started this, don't, don't pretend. Yeah. Until I've got a job title that means something, then... <laughs> <laughs> that reflects my actual job, then I'll, I'll not say it anymore. I'll just say, this is Andy. Okay, well, I, I accept your pointed jab, and I'll, I will do things to resolve this matter. <laughs> Head of dank memes, Andy Kelly. Yeah. Um, Okay, cool. So today we've got a bunch of games to talk about in terms of, uh, well, new games, but also games that have been out for a while where new things have arrived in them. Um, and uh, <laughs> Good. And, uh, Good sentence. Yeah. And rather than uh, kind of trying to pass what that incoherent drivel meant, we'll just get straight into it. Um, Hitman's Elusive Targets. Now, uh, The Elusive Man. Indeed, yes. So, but, um, but not that one. But not that <laughs> one. No, a man who paints things in a house. Um, yeah, so uh, for this is the first of the uh, kind of timed one-off targets that they've dropped into the uh, the Hitman episodic game that IO has been releasing yep. for the past few months. And so you basically the idea is you get one shot at it and if you if you don't kill the target then it's over. The target in this case is a man called Sergey was Laren. it Latrine? Laren. Honestly, Latrine. <laughs> Sergey Latrine, yeah. <laughs> Latrine. Um, Laren. Um, and he's a painter who's uh, who's in the mansion in Paris somewhere. Yeah. You have to go and find him. And and he and they show you in the intro what he looks like. So he's he sticks out by Wearing an apron and a sort of weird eyepiece. Yeah, yeah, like, that's uh, an art man. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> he's an art. Yeah, he's a forger, isn't he? Technically, yeah. That, yeah so he's, he, yeah, he, he sticks out. You know, um, I guess I'll dive right in with a bit of criticism before we say what we like about it. Is that um, I was? It was not what I was expecting. I thought it was going to be like um, they'd go right forty-seven. We, you know, we don't know who the target is, but and give you three clues to kind of figure out, and so there'll be red herrings and there'll be misleading things so you have to be observant and like pick out the target yourself but I didn't know that it was just going to show me him in the intro and I'd immediately know what he looked like and that was kind of the biggest letdown for me I thought it was going to be more of a you know you'd look at a crowd of people and go he's in there somewhere and you'd have to look at like maybe his body language or Mm. you know something people he talks to where he goes in the house I I thought that was that would have been brilliant from from a narrative perspective though have being being an assassination agency that says to one of your one of your hitmen uh, Looks, so we don't know who this guy is, yeah, but, but you el- do have to kill somebody. He's elusive, though. He's the elusive <laughs> target. So even the agency, he's so elusive. He's so elusive. Only, Look, kill have, somebody, and there's like a five percent yeah. chance we'll be paid. I would say though, they didn't. They didn't even need to put any story elements in there. Like you could have just completely gamified it without having to justify in the yeah, narrative. That is true. And um, they chose not to do that. They chose I'm, to say. It's this guy. You need to kill him. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I mean, last last week I was the one arguing that a Hitman should just be a purely intricate systems game. <laughs> yeah. So, well, fair enough. Just it's, winding you up. It's created a five percent better conversation, so it's fine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I kind of agree, Andy. Like the um, the trailer they released on Friday for it just gave away slightly too much about where he was. You know, he's yeah. not on the first floor. You know, he's not on the top yeah. floor. He has to be on the second. He's in the Let's room full of easels. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. He's in that yeah. that one art bit that you you wandered into at some point and wondered what, what's the point of any of these rooms. <laughs> yeah. it turns out um i will say like io have kind of a tendency to do this with the first the first time they do anything so when in the lead up to releasing paris they gave away so much of that level um 
to the point that it kind of ruined it a bit. I, I mean, I stopped watching trailers or anything for that game because I think, okay, future levels, I really want to go and clean. And so for this elusive target, because I think they wanted to make a big thing of it, there was tra- there were trailers and there was a big social media presence for it. I think they've said, like, going forward, other elusive targets might just appear and they won't be a big deal. Yeah. And you'll just sort of find out through word of mouth or whatever. And that, uh, yeah, I mean, that'll help to an extent, although there was still the big briefing video within the game that is just like, hey, here's the guy you're after. Yeah. You've got 48 hours to kill him. Yeah, maybe that, was, maybe that was a kind of tutorial one. Um, so I, I guess, Andy, how did your playthrough uh, turn out in that instance? Yeah, well, I, I was kind of absent-mindedly doing it. Like, I just clicked on it on the menu and I wasn't fully... You know uh, <clears throat> the the enormity of the situation didn't fully <laughs> sink in that the fact that this is my one shot. So I was just kind of arsing around, and I did my every time I start that level, I run to the right around the main entrance for the gardens and and uh, go to where Helmut Kruger is being photographed. So yep. um, you can go anywhere as Helmut Kruger and Bell. I think maybe no one uh, has a white circle above their head when you're him. I think he's. I think you can get away with walking past any yeah, group yeah. Of, of players. So I went for him just to have free win of the mansion. And as I walked back through into the mansion from where the helicopter is, the target was just walking down the stairs. And I immediately went, oh, that guy's wearing an apron. So I went, <laughs> that's him. So there was no there was no hunt at all. That Maybe that's why I was more disappointed than maybe some other people because I immediately just, he just walked right in front of me. Um, so yeah, I just followed him for a bit. And then he separated off from his bodyguard in the big museum room with all the Napoleon uh, stuff <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I choked him and someone heard me choking him oh. there was a guard on the other side of a display case and he couldn't no one could see but apparently the sound of the neck snapping comes up as close combat heard or something like that and right. I got caught okay. so it was quite annoying because I could you know I was like oh that was a freebie he was right there yeah yeah and he, he let you know he showed himself and he walked to a quiet area away from his bodyguard and I somehow I should have um, I don't know if they can hear you if you use the fiber wire I don't think they can yeah, I should have used that it. and I would have got away with it yeah if it wasn't for those bloody security guys pesky. <laughs> <laughs> for those pesky neck bones <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, Phil, you you by contrast uh, successfully finished the uh, contract. Well, yeah. we'll get to me, but um, <laughs> Go, okay. how did it, how did it pan out for you? Uh, pretty well. Um, you know, I have played a lot of Hitman. Um, I think about forty hours. I've got my Steam profile right now. That is insane. Yeah, that's more than I've played almost every Steam game in my library, <laughs> apart from like MGS Five. Yeah, yeah, I played like six hours of Hitman. What about you? Yeah, about six hours, yeah. Well, I reviewed both episodes and then I just played it more. I just kept playing it after that. So, cool. So, it's I've def- got quite deep into both of them. But yeah. that really did help because it just meant, okay, well, for a start, I've unlocked all the mastery levels for Paris already. So, you know, you, I've got my pick of where to start and what costume to use. And that. Oh, that applies to the elusive targets as well, then? Yeah, it does. You can do all of that within the planning settings. Uh, so, yeah, it just picks like the. Um, just the standard waiter in the basement but once you're there that means you can easily take out the security cameras that will record you on the second floor and then i've just got a set route that gets me up to the second floor with one of the better disguises Mm. and that just you know that plays out pretty much the same every time because i've done it that many times at which point you're just wandering around and he just yeah he's got that art room on the second floor and it was you know just waiting around and he walks in it's like okay well this should be relatively easy like the only time it was particularly risky was as I was following him. And he goes up into the attic, and the attic is a space that is always locked off. Uh, you're always trespassing in there, I think, unless you've got one of the guard 
like one of the auction guard costumes. The black suit. Yeah, the black yeah. suit ones. And even then, a lot of people within it will be able to figure you out and spot you. So it, it's, you're never entirely safe in the attic. And there was a moment where um, Laren just got ahead of his bodyguard. So I went for the bodyguard and tried to choke him. And luckily it came off. But that was probably the riskiest thing I did. Yeah, the attic does not feel like a safe place to make that hit. Like, um, there's definitely it's definitely safer in one of the painting rooms mm, on the second floor. For sure. But once the bodyguard <clears> was gone and hidden away, that just meant uh, Laren continued on his regular route and eventually... He appeared in in his art room with nobody watching over him, oh. so it was very easy to just sort of fibre wire him, stick him in a cupboard, and then for the final insult, steal his boat and <laughs> drive on out of there. Very nice. It was nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I messed it up uh, when I played it. Um, yeah. I uh, I decided to do it really late on a Friday night, which was an error. <clears throat> I think like from now on, I'll wait till a Saturday morning when I've like had a good breakfast, mm. you know, and like eight <laughs> hours sleep, and then I'll uh, and then I'll do it. But I got home after work on Friday at about like, I don't know, nine o'clock or something, and then I just um, put it on, had a go, and like uh, was going fine at first. Like mm. my, I guess I've only reached like the second stage of mastery. So I go in in the tuxedo, and then mm. um, I, uh, if you go to the back garden, there's like these two guards that walk past each other, and there's like a, a little dip that goes down into like a garage basement thing. Yeah, and then from there you can grab a guy really easily and just leave a body down there. Dress up as a security guard. That gets you up to the second floor, and you're pretty much done there, aren't you? Um, oh yeah, you can do it there. Quite but I, uh, but I went as a waiter because I thought, in, just in case one of the security guards found me out, so I um, there's a waiter on his own in like a massive room next to the kitchen on the second floor. Mm-hmm. So I, um, yeah, I, I killed him. I didn't mean to kill him, but I just forgot that. I'm, oh no, I'm not meant to kill people in this game. Um, <laughs> stuffed him in the cupboard, and then um, that's the auction waiter, right? <clears throat> so that gives yeah. you like second and third. Yeah, that's good one to have. So I knew from the trailer he was on the second floor somewhere. So I shimmied round the windows, thinking, okay, I'll get to the win- the right window. I should be able to tell because he'll pop out every now and then. And like, uh, I got to the window and I was, no one was, no one popped out, but I was convinced that was the right one. And I could see that there was white dots behind the thing. But I thought, okay, if I, if I hop over the balcony, it's unlikely I'll be in their line of sight because I, you're sort of out of the way on the balcony. But that didn't happen. They just saw me straight away and shot me dead. And that was the, that was the end of it. Or was it? But <laughs> then, <laughs> twist. <laughs> so um, I'm quite a bad loser. Um, <laughs> When, uh, As anyone who's played Rocket League with you will know, this felt very similar to Rocket League. I felt so upset when I went. <laughs> I went to bed like I had an angry sleep after <laughs> after that, and I woke up the next day and thought, "No, I can rectify it." Because um, obviously, being members of the esteemed press, um, we <laughs> we have a press account for Steam, which allows us to play any game on Steam. It doesn't belong to any one person, but it belongs to the um, the whole team. And so I decided to uh, to play Hitman on that account and do the elusive target that way. So even though I died... That's shocking. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, a solution that would only be available to people who weren't press who yeah. bought the game twice on different <laughs> Steam accounts <laughs> to play one temporary never, mission. Yeah, they never factored that in, did they? No. No. Yeah. Well, you can't stop people from doing it, I suppose, can you? But, like, um, yeah, that's what I did. And so uh, I, I went... This time I didn't bother shimmying around the windows because I was dumb. Yeah, you just so, walked through buildings. You yeah. just walked through the rooms. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I didn't realise that. So I did all the same things again, except this time I walked walked into the um there's like a room where he's painting and another room that's got paintings in it mm. and one of those rooms has got like an auction guy in it and the other one doesn't and so as soon as they walk from one room into one room into another i ghosted them and then like um shut the door behind me quickly uh fiber wired the uh the guard um who was stood behind him watching him paint and then uh, fiber wired him didn't hide the bodies mm. but just left and then um, no one caught me and i walked out the front gate it's a good thing nice. you didn't snap his neck then um behind, yeah that could have gone quite the, wrong 
the painting guy because you would have got caught. That's what I, I discovered. Oh, I was lucky. That they then, can yeah. hear, they can hear the neck snap. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. It's, it's I guess there does have to be a difference between the fiber wire and the strength. Yeah, doesn't yeah, it? because the fiber wire is an item you've actually got to choose to take with you yeah, in yeah. your two slots. So if if yeah if I think already choking people out um, passively is sort of quite an overpowered move because it's non-fatal. They're just out for the duration. You can yeah. stuff them in. It's so just a way of yeah. removing somebody non-lethally. That's already quite a quite a powerful yeah. So they've way added out. the noise. Uh, but, but, thing to uh, make it a bit less. It's annoying know, though, Andy, because for all intents and purposes, you did solve the problem. Yeah, mm. and like uh, the game didn't let you do it, which is a bit annoying because you yeah. had that you had the exact right idea, just like one. Yeah. It's a bit annoying, execution. but like that's a rule you've learned now, so yeah. it's a thing you'll be prepared for. I, you, you learned it in a particularly galling way because yeah. yeah, it was during the only time in the game where you only get one shot to do it. <laughs> yeah. But whereas in my world, you don't learn lessons. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Just, you just correct the situation to for make the next elusive target. One of us is just going to have to go to the press account, log in, blow yeah. forty-seven up. And then, Fine, I'll, I'll spend forty pounds first... and buy the game again. <laughs> See if it stops me. <laughs> Honestly, like it's the most babyish thing I've ever done. Um, but like, uh, I, I don't, I don't really regret it. In fact, the worst thing is that I feel the joy I would have received from doing it See, properly, the, the, even I though I did it wrong. That's what gets me, is you're jumping in on my own sense of accomplishment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like I've arrived and gone, hey, Phil, I've got this too now. And, <laughs> and you're like, no, no, you haven't. But um, it, was, earn it. it was so worth it to see the face of Chris Thurston's face this morning. <laughs> it's sort of like the, the slight sneer, the disdain. Oh, it was so delicious. And it reminded me of um, Louis C.K.'s bit about the Hertz rental car, where he just leaves it by the side of the terminal in the airport instead of returning, and it just gets on plane and goes home he said well if you want your car back you better go and get it <laughs> it felt like that to me like i just i'd somehow beaten the system but um but it was uh it was quite embarrassing i must admit but um i don't know it was worth it for this podcast conversation i think and uh yeah but i'm hoping next time i can just do the elusive target with it's like um <clears throat> it's like when uh thoros of mir resurrects beric uh beric dondarrion in uh, game of thrones season two uh every time you come back to life you lose a bit of yourself <laughs> So every time you... Um, but what if there was nothing to begin with? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so no. yeah, every time you, you cheat, you're going to lose a bit of your uh, your humanity. Yeah, well, I think life will find a way to get me back. Like, I'll go home today and my flat would have burnt down or something. It's like, wow, well, you shouldn't have cheated a hitman, should you? And I'll see it'll be Chris Thurston oh, if, the matches. If your so. house had been blown up by that that World War Two bomb, that would have been... That did almost That would have been some, some overkill karma. But. Just a bit of context there. My neighbourhood was evacuated last week because they found a World War Two bomb buried yeah. outside of school for some reason, because we live in Bath. Because that's yeah. what happened, can happen, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I assume that I assume that just the Nazis were treating Bath like a game of worms with an airstrike. Well, they, it was, they hadn't uh, accounted for air resistance. Yeah. <laughs> it was a re- uh, bit of history fun fee here. It's because we blew up a place of historic interest in Germany, so they blew up one of our places of historic interest. What happens to be where we live, where we're recording this now? Yeah. So yeah, those bastards. <laughs> <laughs> I said to Tony, "Oh, they didn't really, they didn't get the bath, did they?" And he went, "Well, well, what is there to hit? <laughs> yeah, it's already a room. It's just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. it's just a hole with water in it, yeah. and it's not that you can't enter because <laughs> it's poisonous." And so uh, yeah, and so that's that's basically how uh, how we did Hitman, and also how my neighborhood was evacuated yeah. because of a bomb. Um, I'm very 
very sorry, guys. And uh, yeah, I've uh, shamed the brand. And uh, yeah, <laughs> this won't soon be forgotten. So next up, we're going to talk about some VR games, both uh, Phil Ooh. and Andy. Um, we somehow ended up with two uh, HTC Vives in our office for reasons I'm not entirely clear on. Yeah. But it's quite rad. And uh, you yeah. guys decided to take one home for the weekend and, mm. and just live in VR. How, yeah. how was that experience? All of last week was pretty much, I was most nights I was VRing. Hmm. Um, I'm lucky enough to have quite a massive front room that's also like a kitchen so it's tons of space basically it's like a open plan thing so I could move my sofa aside stick up the uh, tracking towers one was balanced on a pile of books on, a, on the mantelpiece one was balanced on the peg on a coat rack nice. <laughs> okay. coat hanger and um so yeah, I, I basically had tons of room and I could do the full room scale. That's pretty good. Mine, uh, we also got the full room scale, but it was quite, it was, like it was touch and go. You, what happens is when you're doing room scale, you've got to trace the outline. It doesn't just see the obstacles in the way for the chaperone, which tells you when you're coming up to the bounds of, it tells you, the chaperone basically tells you when you're about to walk into a wall or sofa or something. You've actually it, got to, it appears as a big sort yeah, of grid. In, a Tron style yeah. grid within yeah. VR saying, whoa there, this isn't, you're not yeah. actually. If you cross this line, you're going to pit something. Especially in your flat field where you have a snake there. <laughs> That's true. That well, is occasionally just <laughs> slithering around. Yeah. Um, that tends to be in another room. <laughs> don't don't keep snakes in your VR room. That's piece of the device one. Yeah. If we're gonna if we're gonna do a guide throughout this yeah. not one, no live animals, snakes or anything. Um but yeah, I, I actually had assumed that the chaperone would sort of do it automatically and it would just scan your room future yeah. style. But that you know, you've got to trace it out by holding the controller and just walking around your room. And we just about got off uh, enough space to do the full yeah. room scale thing. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, you, you hold the trigger on one of the controls and you walk around, you skirt the edge of your space. And um, on the screen, a line appears uh, that you've traced, and then a green box appears. Yeah. If it's okay, and a red box appears if it's not. Um, so occasionally, you can sort of cheat a bit and hold your arm out slightly that's more. Sort of what we had to yeah. do. We got the red thing a couple of times, just from a couple of corners, and it was like, all right, yeah, well, just cheat. If we do yeah. this, and just remember that this corner is potentially a danger yeah. zone. But it'll it's, probably it's be actually fine. impressively easy to set up. I I, mm. I had to strip it down and put it back on a few times you know just to put my living room back together to yeah. sit in, on the couch and it was so easy just to um just to do the trace and the room setup it's i'm really impressed by how easy it's that's to, quite yeah to get like going. the most difficult thing is literally just positioning things like yeah. like you say you got a ridiculous base station setup system yeah because it's got to be about over six foot off the ground the base stations i actually had one i what i had one was about 6.5 you know feet but mm. the other one was a little bit lower it was about just on a on my eye line and it was okay. fine so, it, fair enough. so you can have one at least one a bit lower and it still it still works yeah we um, I, I asked solution one was on a shelf the other was on like a table which was on a table which was on a box which was on another box which was yeah. on another box you can see that and on to, Phil's Twitter if you go on yeah. his Twitter feed you'll see is ridiculous <laughs> quite the homebrew setup <laughs> and then the actual base station which was affixed to its little stand thing had to be taped down so it didn't just fall over because yeah. they've also got to be pointed 35 degrees downwards or like slightly downwards so they can see the floor and everything which yeah. means that the actual base they come on it, the, the, the base station's top heavy yeah. If you just stand it down, it will fall over. So we just had to tape it up with some masking yeah, again, tape. It you was. Can, I think if you've got, I had one tilted down slightly, but the other one that was slightly lower, I had just facing like, straight on. So there's a bit of leeway. I think, to, I think the base stations are designed to sort of be screwed into the ceiling or wall, which yeah. is fine if you've got a permanent VR setup. But if you're just sort of sharing it between people in an office, yeah. it's. But I find it for. I mean, my space is obviously suited to it, but some mm. people's won't be. So if you don't have like a shelf in the right bit of the room, then. 
you'll have nowhere to put it. Yeah, it might look a bit homebrew, is yeah. the thing. Um, but you're right, like, it is really easy to set up once you've got everything in position. You just sort of run the Steam VR app and it takes you through it yeah. step by step. With enough tape, like, you can actually, the, you get mounting brackets for the base stations. I saw some someone doing this with enough tape, you can just tape the mounting brackets to the wall yeah. and pivot the thing around. So you can, you know, you can, it might rip the paint off. You might have to fix it before you move out, or the landlord will take your uh, deposit <laughs> but it can be done with enough thick tape you can sort of basically instead of screwing the base stations on just stick them to your wall mm. so what about the games themselves what did you guys end up playing over the weekend uh, <clears throat> I played lots of games like about six or seven um, some of them were not that good and some of them were like properly amazing that's the thing about VR some either games like yeah this is alright or it's like hot damn this is yeah good. I think like the sort of the kind of shonky Unity type <clears throat> games are perhaps even more yeah. offensive when you've got to live in them instead <laughs> yeah. of just play them on a monitor. Like, yeah. if there's any kind of things that you just accept from a normal game, but like in VR, if there's any kind mm. of shonk or like if things don't really work out yeah. that well, it kind of becomes really annoying because um, you can't escape it. The good stuff, uh, Google's Tilt Brush is yeah, amazing. That was. Uh, it's a kind of. It's like a painting app, basically. So um, on your left hand, you've got your palette where you can sp switch between colors and tools and a, a, you know, a million brush types and stuff. And your right hand is your brush. And you're sort of just in a black void and you can just paint with lights or with uh, yeah. colors and stuff. But the, the weird thing is, is that you can paint in 3D. So I spent like a good hour painting a tree so I was down on my knees painting the grass on my, like you know, on the floor. Right. Okay. Um, and I did it like you know I used laz and it looked quite you know it looks quite cool and stylish. Spending my mind thinking about it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's just weird. Like and then you, you I painted the tree by actually physically painting a, a you know, in three D. So I'd like go around and do the laz and then do the trunks and the leaves and then I stood back, and there was just a bit a tree stood in the middle of my living room and I could walk around it. And I had to sit down under it. And lay down and look up and looked up at the leaves. It was wow. so weird. It was like I, I, stepping into a painting is so bizarre. Yeah, it's amazing. I am a god now. <laughs> <laughs> and you can, you know, obviously the first thing I do was I did was paint a big wanger. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, oh you did that too. Didn't yeah, you? I painted yeah. a big wang. Fair enough. It's got to be done. But yeah, you didn't paint a tree then have a lovely sit down film. No, just painted a giant cock. Well, yeah, that's that done. I'm not very artistic, <laughs> as anybody who's seen the doodles in the spy will know. I think your doodles are very good. <laughs> I think they're really good. And they're very sweet. <laughs> yeah, <And> it's sweet. <laughs> and what's cool about it's um, good that you try. <laughs> What's good about tilt brushes? You can export the once you've painted something. You can export it as a file that can then be uploaded to what's that website where you can upload three D models to it and spin them around? Oh, another one you mean? You know the one um, I mean? Yeah, the I've forgotten the name, but you can basically upload your painting and people can look at it and on the web browser and like spin it around and look at it in three D. So that's quite cool. That's cool. Um, we can but, also see your tree. Yeah. I'm yeah, gonna, I'll, I'll look at your tree. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to figure out. You need to do install some sort of Python script to convert it, but I'm going to do it. it. Sounds boring, but I'm going to do it. No, that's yeah. fine. But yeah, that's that's Tilt Brush. It's not a game, but it is one of the best VR applications. Yeah, it's it's also one of the more expensive ones. I think it's twenty three pounds or so yeah. because it's software and yeah. not games. The games tend to a lot of the VR games are quite cheap at the moment. Uh, yeah. The software less so, but it is a quality thing. So. Yeah. So what's an example of a, a garbage game you played that tried to do something cool in VR but uh, it didn't work? None of them were like garbage. That's. Maybe a bit harsh. There was uh, there was a mini golf game that I played, um, Cloudlands mini golf. Cloudlands, yeah, we played a bit of that as well. Yeah, I didn't. Um, I, I thought it, it it kind of it, it worked. You got a good sense of, of 
you know, being in a 3D space, but it just had that u- unity jankiness to it. It, it was actually the more professional of the mini golf games we tried. There was another mm-hmm. one just called Mini Golf VR that was really yeah. sort of. Yeah. It wasn't bad, really Cloud Lines. I don't want to say it was bad because it, it did. There was, you know, some of the obstacles were quite imaginative and the, f- mm. the feeling of like putting with nothing there was quite. Was quite good, but it was one of the the less impressive ones. Do you guys try uh, that baseball one, the home run one? No, um, which uh, Evan in the US uh, played and uh, managed to get like one of the best scores on because yeah. he actually plays baseball and uh, sports generally. But like, um, so cheating. <laughs> <clears throat> but apparently, it's very very good. Um, yeah, and no, I never played that one. Um, some of the other good ones were because my uh, my girlfriend had her friends down who are not gamers over the weekend on Saturday, so obviously, like. You know, yeah, I set up for them, let them have a go, and the stuff they found the most impressive. I also did. So um, them being non-gamers and me being a gamer, it seemed that the same thing. That is how you us. identify yourself. Yeah, <laughs> I identify as a gamer, and because I love video games, <laughs> my whole personality revolves around games. No, but it's, so it was quite interesting. I thought that the. It's not the traditional games that I find that as interesting as stuff like the blue, which is where you just stand underwater and a full-scale blue whale goes past and stares at you with yeah. its big eye. Mm. And then it, it swims away and its tail sort of whacks the ship you're standing on and everything shakes and it just feels really physical. That um, was the one that elicited the most responses out of my girlfriend as she yeah. played it. Because, yeah, you've got an alarming big whale flipping yeah. its tail at you and that's <laughs> quite... And also there's one in the blue called one of the scenarios is the abyss where yeah. you are in... You can literally stare into the abyss. You are staring <laughs> into the abyss. Is um, that your favourite, Andy? <laughs> yeah, there are fish and lights and you're sort of within the skeleton of this decomposed whale and wow. it's yeah. And over, over time, like, it's pitch black to start with but then like yeah. it's fluorescent jellyfish appear and then suddenly by the end the whole area around you is full of like thousands mm. of glowing jellyfish. And that's really cool. Oh, but man, I my try that. girlfriend yeah. didn't get to that bit because she got to the, like the dark, gloomy expanse with the whale carcass above you and was just like, yeah. nope, this yeah. is way too intense. And the other <laughs> one on the blue is um, it's a coral reef and uh, it's basically just a beautiful picturesque, you know, coral reef scene with turtles going past and stuff. And I, I just lay down on the carpet on oh, my back. Oh, yeah, I did that I while the jellyfish up. were going over. <laughs> yeah. and it was just Yeah, like, and I was just looking at, you know, swarms of jellyfish. Partially because yeah, it looked nice above and partially because I am a little bit scared of jellyfish. <laughs> so I, I wanted to hide behind the rocks yeah. where they couldn't get to me. It was <sighs> just so peaceful. Like, with it, I, I had my, um, I didn't have the headphones on. I had it piped through in my speakers and I had them up full blast with the bass up. So I, I was surrounded by the sound of water. <laughs> it was properly amazing. Yeah. Damn, I want to try that now. That sounds yeah, really good. Yeah, it's really good. And the, 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 you know, graphics are really good. So like that, it doesn't look cheap. It looks really high production values. What I'll say about a lot of what we I played was most of it is that sort of experiential type thing where you you go through it once and you look at the scenarios and you're like, yeah, that's cool. But I don't think I'd return to it again. A lot of it, it was just like I'd play it until I got the point and then was like, yeah. oh, I'm probably done with this. And I think, I think the only one that I think I'd come back to was Audio Shield, yeah. which is... Um, it's by the guy who made Audio Surf, um, and it, it's one of those games where you. That was quite distracting. Sorry, Sam. Sam had some microphone <laughs> microphone issues pivoting. But I was just trying to get it. Yeah, but uh, but while they adjust, um, so you, yeah, you get shield. access to your entire library uh, of music. So you pick a song, and um, it, it use it generates, analyzes, yeah. and generates. Um, 
a wave of these balls and orbs that come towards you, and they're either blue or orange, and you've got one orange shield, one blue shield, and you've just got to block them as they come towards you, hit them away or whatever. And they come in time with the music. Yeah, exactly. It? Yeah. yeah, It's all analysed within that, the beat. That was fun. It felt a bit too much like doing aerobics, though. It's quite it's, knackering. It can be quite <laughs> knackering, but I did, like, there were a couple of songs that synced really well with it, and you've got so you've got like a nice mix of you know just single notes coming towards you or these long notes and then the, 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 sometimes there are these long vibrates, sort of, doesn't it when you, you put mm. your hand for the long note and it sort of vibrates yeah and then sometimes yeah. they're like these long sort of sweeping arcs of horizontal notes that you've just got to sort of sweep yeah. your arm across it's really quite cool yeah that was really um, good that I, I played I think I did there was some songs bundled with it I think I did Feel Good Ink by Gorillaz, which really I was impressed by a lot of those music generated games that what's happening on screen doesn't fully yeah tie in with the music but this seemed that whatever algorithm they're using it turns the waveform into these orbs flying out wow. it was really accurate just think Addy the first person to be impressed by Feel Good Ink by the Gorillas <laughs> in 11 <laughs> years <laughs> I was actually in it though I was back yeah, in the I was in like, the song man it was oh, that's fair enough. it was far out <laughs> Do you do, um, there's apparently a Miss style adventure as well you can play yeah um, I, I, yeah, I stuck uh, yeah, I, I which wears really like it, I didn't see the point of going getting into anything narrative partly because I was only going to be playing it over the weekend and oh, yeah, because, there, yeah. yeah it was just a case of well it, I was in a space where it just made sense to play lots of short form things and yeah, see no, how the same here was, yeah Oh, that's fair enough. I think if I had like a dedicated VR room and I had a set that I myself or whatever I'd probably get you know start exp- Exploring the games hmm. uh, and seeing the, what the long form I, stuff people had, but I think the only one I sat and played like a game for any great length of time was Job Simulator. I think I played three yeah. hours of that, and that is properly good. Where it's it's kind of like a, a humorous. The, the humor is very Valve, even though it's not a Valve game. I don't think they're it's not. not no. They're not involved it's, in it. Um, Alchemy Labs, yeah, who. They've done a lot of porting work. They're, they're sort of one of those Valve satellite developers who do a lot of sort of the indie side stuff for them, and right. I think they've been involved on a few yeah. things with it's, them. And it's very slick, and it's kind of it's like humorous simulations of like office job working as a car mechanic. But the best one's the cooking one. Yeah, and that went down <laughs> really great. well with the um, the the non gamers. <laughs> I gave a go. On. They they were they were um, they were really impressed by that because it's it's kind of it's got a great sense of physicality. Um, you sort of you stood in a kitchen and it's quite small and all the stuff's around you, all the ingredients, uh, it's above you, hanging above you, and the cupboards below you, and like the, the the instinctive feeling of just reaching down, opening a cupboard, taking out a tomato, putting it in a blender, and pulling the handle down in the blender, and then squirting the the sauce out onto a bit of pizza or whatever. Just that that process is so instinctive; it feels amazing. Mm. It's just it's weird hard. hearing a man excited about those yeah, things. You know? it, yeah, makes, yeah. it makes you excited about the most mundane things. One thing I love doing is when, when you toast something so you have to make crumpets for some guy a posh English robot and when they're finished toasting they spring into the air and you can you grab can them, them out of mid air. Wow. And it's just little things like that. It just feels so mm, feels really you, good. Yeah, it's, 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 um, it's kind like, of hard to explain but it's the, yeah. the, the controllers that the Vive have are like basically perfect in the 1-1 one, one tracking so that makes it, it makes gives you a real sense of physicality within the world. It's really yeah. really quite intuitive grabbing things and manipulating And you things. can sort of you can just cause a mess like I, I just mm. love like picking up all the wine bottles and just smashing them uh, or you could just like <laughs> yeah you, they'd say like make a sandwich but you completely up to you what you put in the sandwich you yeah. just put mad shots in there just stack it right like, up yeah. so it just gets higher and higher and higher and then you yeah stack it up or yeah put in completely ridiculous ingredients whatever you wanted to do yeah Yeah. it it was quite a nice little uh, we played through all the scenarios in the end just because yeah it was fun jokes and yeah 
like we would like we'd have someone in VR and someone would be watching it on the monitor as yeah. well because you get that. that yeah, we were um, doing that as well. It was great. It sort of people can sort of participate yeah. as well because it's fun just to watch on the screen like and then look at the person flailing around. That the yeah. job simulator was responsible for my biggest moment of like VR disassociation, where I was um, le- le- I was knelt on the ground to do something under one of the counters in in the chef one, oh, yeah. and then I went to grab the counter in front of me <laughs> to pull myself up, yeah. and I was like, oh no, that's not that's not a real surface. Yeah, my, my girlfriend tried to put the controllers down on the worktop <laughs> next to her. Luckily, I'd put the rope things around her wrist, otherwise she would have just dropped <laughs> Wow. But you did, I, I think in the kitchen, I tried to lean on the wall at one point as well. That is, you do get that disassociation thing where just your brain momentarily freaks out. Mm. Wow. And it, you just feel like it's wrong. You're sort of fooling your, your own mind, which is supposed to be the it's most wrong. reliable yeah. thing. Like, <laughs> and yeah, these you, VR verdicts, it's wrong. <laughs> yeah. It just feels like you're, you're betraying your own mind somehow. It's weird. Wow. I okay. hope, yeah, I can imagine like what if his long-term dissociative uh, disorders brought on by VR, where like you don't know what's real. Your, your hands gone through invisible tables. It does make me wonder if like uh, if that if that almost happened with your girlfriend in the in the uh, the work surface. Whether more extreme examples of that are going to ha- start happening more sooner. Almost yeah. certainly. Interesting. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, um, we'll come back to VR at a later date. I'm sure as uh, Andy and Phil work their way through more games, yeah. or if they just lose interest and move on, which is also <laughs> yeah. very possible. Um, but uh, I want to talk a bit about Doom, uh, which came out on Friday. Hmm. And uh, Phil, I don't know if you've been playing it. I know you've got I a copy of it. And, uh, Magical VR time's got in the way of my yeah. Doom playing. But Andy's been building a Doom level. Doom is amazing. I'm so impressed by it. And I, I really, my expectations were incredibly low. I yeah, wasn't expecting much. Based on the multiplayer, I was really worried because mm. I didn't enjoy it much at all. But I've heard yeah. the campaign is fantastic. It's, it's just got such a, before I go into my my building a level experience. <laughs> um, the good thing about the combat is it's kind of like a, there's, there's like a sort of, it's like a dance. It's like a dance of death, a dance macabre. <laughs> where, you're, where you're sort of pirouetting around the, lev- uh, the level, just like sort of um, shotgunning someone and then you, you're low on health, so you go into an uh, execution kill to re- restore your health and then like move on to the next guy. And you just keep a sort of, you're just twirling around the enemies at massive speeds, you know, it's so fast. Um, just sort of shotgunning, executioning, flip, flipping to another weapon, throwing a grenade, and then it all happens in a sort of blur. And it just feels really, the controls are so tight and the guns feel so good. It's it's just one of the most fun, you know, purest expressions of the FPS, you know, you could you could hope to play. Wow. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like amazing. everyone seems to be having the uh, the same experience of it as well. But yeah. The campaign seems to be getting a particularly good response. Yeah. I don't know about the multiplayer yet, but um, there's, there's some good some of the, the level designs are a bit boring as a lot of uh, corridors and stuff, but I mean that's doomed. But there is some really good set pieces like there's one fight that takes place on these uh, precarious walkways above a in a foundry above like a pool of molten metal mm. and it's really fun because it's sending these enemies at you that charge you so you're backpedaling but every other bit of the walkway there's a broken ha- uh, railing so you can fall off so it's that environmental awareness thing of like trying to battle these big hell knights rushing at you whilst also being aware of the fact that you could fall off the walkway mm. man that sounds it's, so so 90s yeah <laughs> in kind of a good way it was, you know? and it was kind of so it was so stripped back and it was so elegant like elegant you know you wouldn't expect to use a word like that for doom but it was so well designed the set piece was brilliant good gun really feel good. yeah good great gun feel apart from the default pistol which is one of the worst pistols in a game ever oh, wow. oh, wow. it's weird how they got that wrong maybe because it's to, you know it's a last resort type thing you barely ever use it but it's really weedy and yeah, mm. shit mm. pistol 
So what about uh, your level then, the building in, uh, what's it called? Uh, Snap Map. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I'm really impressed with Snap Map as well because it's it's got creation tools, but there's kind of a good front end where you can really easily just select a filter. So you say, I want a single player level or I want a, a arcade trial or a whatever, see, a shooting gallery. See, I didn't even know you could build single player levels in it until uh, yeah. you started tweeting about it because they, they definitely focused on multiplayer for the thing last year. Didn't yeah, they? yeah. Well, you, you can jump into any map that someone's made with people and play it. Um, and there's a really good way of filtering from top rated to newest newest upload and stuff. But yeah, I'm, mm. I'm just making a single player level and I'm just trying to make a good like classic FPS start to finish type level with key cards and ambushes and traps and... Uh, All the secret, classic Doom things. Yeah, just classic Doom yeah. and secret rooms and uh, I showed Phil one of my set pieces earlier where there's a, a weapon spinning enticingly in the middle of a room. And then, of course, when you pick up the weapon, I've, I've set up these triggers using what are called logic chains um, to basically make a door open and two enemies spawn. Oh, wow. And so they, you pick up the weapon and it's that carrot and stick doom design of, you know, I've done that a few times. Like when you pick up the key card uh, in one of the parts of the level, I've got tons of enemies spawning all around you to, you know, as that give you that feeling of, I found the key card, but now I'm, I'm getting attacked by all these enemies. So it's quite, you, you put in your kind of things you've learned from playing FPSs, like I've... Um, to draw the player's attention to the red key card, I've like put a red spotlight, subtly shining a red light on it, just so that your eye goes, the key card's over there. Like yeah, I'm using yeah. the sort of the valve tricks of using light to lead people around the level and stuff. Wow, at this point, Andy, you're basically <laughs> John Carmack. <Yeah. laughs> John full Romero. And it makes it so easy. Like the logic chain thing is such a good system where so you've so you've got like um you've got a you want you want it so that when the player walks through a certain part of the room, it will trigger some uh, an audio effect to play it in a door to open so you just create a trigger point you set your logic chain on it you drag your chain literally drag it across to the trigger the audio mm. thing so and you like drag it over to the door and it opens the door and that's that's you that's you've set up some gameplay that sounds like a 3d little big planet you know yeah. <laughs> well it's, it's, it's so the, the controls and stuff are so well done i've obviously spent a long time making it intuitive and I've got to the point now where I've mastered the basics so much that I can really drill down into making some like complex chains of stuff happen and have bits of the level, um, have the level layout alter when the player does a certain thing and stuff like that. It's really, it's really. You were deep. saying you can generate text messages and stuff as well. Yeah, so you yeah. Can make like a full story. Yeah, you could. Yeah, I was thinking about as as a sort of as a as a jape to make like a walking simulator type thing <laughs> yeah. where you're just walking through a level and there's no combat and there's just text coming up. <laughs> I'm just here to get my kids back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a really emotional story in Doom. And, you, and it is that flexible and people have been making like crazy, you know, you're, whenever there's a creation tool for a game, people on the internet make mad things. Like someone's made like a big whack-a-mole machine where demons pop out and someone's made a giant keyboard like the one from Big. <laughs> where you and, th were you and th four players and cock can run around on a big keyboard making music. It's only been out for three days. <laughs> yeah. That's really annoying. So I'm not doing any of that stuff. I'm just making a, I'm trying to make a really good, solid, well-paced level. And I'm, I might do like a thing on the website, maybe talking through my design process, then get maybe readers to play it or maybe other game designers to play I it. I think we should do a thing where you, we, we get like Romero or... Oh, we get to we could review, review the reviewers. Your, I'm, your sure, level. I'm sure we'd be up for that. Like, yeah. um, you could make a, can you make a string of levels, like a, like a mini campaign? Yeah, there's no way to link them, but you can just have them... You, you can just, can just, just name naming, them. Yeah. yeah, so you could... But it'd be quite cool to just get like a bunch of uh, FPS designers to play my level and I'd love them just to rip it apart like just get give me a taste of my own medicine we are 100% doing that yeah, yeah we're behind yeah. you for this Andy oh, we, we have to work, we, we we have to work. This. I was up I'll tweet one, Romero and make it happen yeah. I was up till 1am <laughs> last night making one set piece 
Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's, that's such a good <laughs> idea for a feature. Um, um, so yeah, it's, it's really, it's really good, and it's also cross-platform, which is cool. So if you want, if your mates playing on PS4 or Xbox, they can play the levels you've made, and vice versa. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah that's, that sounds great. Um, no, I'll, I'll definitely give that a go. I've been after a good kind of chunky FPS campaign. Like, will it mm. scratch the same itch that Wolfenstein did? It's yeah. It, I wonder if it's it's has it's very different from Wolfenstein and there's no one near as much uh, storyline like the the story mm. the storyline is so incre- so incredibly there's a brevity to it that's almost, that's funny like you just wake up and you're like right put the helmet on start shooting things oh cool like um, it's it's very light you know Wolfenstein obviously had a lot of story stuff and a lot more wandering around exploring environments without enemies attacking you whereas this is just it's just guns guns demons nonstop. Um, yeah, it's really good. I'm, I'm really impressed by it. But the, the multiplayer I played for about an hour it just left me quite cold. Mm. It felt like quite a basic arena type, old school multiplayer mode, which is probably what they were going for. Yeah, like yeah, I think I'd like it more if it was just that old school arena. Like it was, it was the unlocks and the stuff yeah, like that that just really dragged out. It. it was like, okay, you're trying to do the unlock thing, but also add in these hooks that are going to keep me. It's like, yeah. I don't mind unlocks in a few games, but unlocks in a few games, but after a while, there's only so much time you can spend trying to get up to level 50, get your prestige modes, get yeah. your... Uh, I, I, young I'm not giving it game. a fair enough shake to be... So I don't want to write it off. Yeah, of course. But, you know, I, I've, I don't feel any desire really to go back whilst Snap Map and the campaign exists. Yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think Doom... It's fine for Doom to exist as a single-player campaign. Like, it's, it's what that series has always done well, really. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah, Snap Map... It's, Obviously, also Doom's always got had a long, a strong sort of level generation community around mm. it, and this seems like a way of of incentivizing just regular people who don't know how to do yeah actual game design toolkits to it's do that. This tutorial was built in to tell you how to do it and stuff, yeah. and it's is really, as the name suggests, quite easy. You know, to to make something, but the, obviously the skill was in setting up enemies and pacing and all that. You know. Where you want to make a proper good level, which I intend to <laughs> this do. This is where your genius yeah, yeah. has to shine. <laughs> yeah. Well, keep uh, keeping on the magazine because uh, Andy's level will be reviewed by John Romero in future. Even though right now John Romero has no idea, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know this will happen yet. But maybe it'll happen. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. So um, if it doesn't, we tried. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Phil uh, Stellaris, we mm. talked a bit about on last week's episode, but. Um, you were kind of like halfway through reviewing it at that point. Yeah. Um, since we, then, your reviews got live on PCGamer.com. Um, and so you had more to say about it, right? Yeah. When I, when I talked about it for the podcast, it was sort of at the stage where I, mo- most of my impressions came from the early game. And it turns out Stellaris' early game, give like it does that part of it really well. Like The reason I was so positive last week, I think, was because you know that, that's the part of the game I was sitting in. And I was kind of projecting, thinking, okay, well, if the rest of the game functions like this then then it's going to be something really special and then i hit the mid game and the late game and i wouldn't say i I think i feel a little bit let down by it to an extent um because it was on course to be something so good um and it just doesn't quite over the full length of it doesn't quite hold together uh say so what happens is as you're exploring you start to discover these other these other um, factions, these other empires, and that kind of, once you've seen enough of them and you've got a, a big enough understanding of the galaxy as a whole, you kind of move into this mid-game stage where it all becomes very, it becomes really slow, like the pace completely drops off. Um, 
and it's all meant to be about like the diplomatic relations and expanding out from there um and how you how what story you create in dealing with all these empires that have presented themselves and have fixed borders like how you wrestle territory away from them who you ally with that sort of stuff and that's all great except the diplomacy options that exist are really limited like there are so few interactions that you can actually make with each empire um and that kind of really really upsets the pace of it because all you can really do is declare war at the end of the day you'll ally with a few people but once those alliances are set there is just no way no way to break them um so essentially all you've got is a list a list of targets right um because there are victory conditions in slaris which is actually quite new for a paradox game um i think it's, it's because of the 4x side of it coming to the fore most paradox games don't have victory conditions they're just sort of sandbox strategy storytelling experiments that you kind of like improvise your way through whereas in in stellaris your two victory conditions are grab 40 percent of the colonizable planets in the world or take out or subjugate or destroy all of the other empires and both of those require quite heavy military investment and I've had some well, I had some back and forth with readers who read my review because this was the thing I complained about as like it very it sort of really hems in how you can play. There's only one route to victory essentially. There was a, there was definitely quite a lot of people agreeing with you as well. Yeah, yeah, there were people agreeing with me, but some people were like, okay, well, you, you know, it's not a forex game. You shouldn't have to have multiple victory things. Paradox games, they're, they're about you know the military solution and that and. It, I, I sort of get where they're coming from, but at the same time, this is a game that lets you pick the faction trait pacifist. Yeah. And if you do that, and if you actually want to roleplay it as a proper pacifist empire, there's really nothing you can do once you hit the mid-game. Like, there's, you, you have no real options. Yeah, you can join a, federas, uh, a federation, and your other federation members will protect you in the military side of it, but you're just offsetting the military activity to other AIs at that point. You're not... You're not taking an active, you know, an active role within the the politics of the of the world. So it's like an illusion of choice with no consequence for it. Yeah, pretty much. And it's, I just find that really disappointing. Um, There's also this kind of attitude I've seen where people are going, but they'll sort it in DLC, and that annoys me too because. <sighs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, fair enough. Paradox has a pretty uh, extensive and impressive history of building on their games with expansions, but you're still sp spending thirty pounds, forty pounds on day one. Yeah, to, I like to buy the game. Yeah, yeah, the game as it exists. Like, I don't think you can discount that. Like, there is a current game that you can pay money for, and it's the experience you will get, and you're getting an experience where essentially, as far like from my point of view, certainly you're looking at maybe a year or two down the line before they've got all the things in it that will actually really capitalize on the start that it has yeah um that brings like the rest of the game to the same level where the early game is uh, but even then like people say it as if oh that will definitely happen like once the, in in two years the, the expansions they've released will definitely do the things that you know will solve the things you've got a problem with yeah but to an extent it's like okay but maybe like we can't we can't say that for certain i mean, no. you know like as an industry yeah we're very good at trying to pretend like we know what's going to happen a year or two down the line but yeah. it's 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 a hard call to make because it you know it means paradox has to 
identify correctly the problems. Yeah, I, mean, we're, we're that's assuming that that they know that a problem we've had with the game already exists within the game, and yeah. they and they may or, not agree. You know, they may be one of those people. You know, one 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 of the other people who think, okay, well, okay, you have this problem, but we don't think it's a problem. We think this is actually by design. Yeah. Um. So they, so you know, maybe the next expansion will be military focused instead of diplomacy focused. Maybe it'll be this and that. We I mean, like. I, I do think they will be able to identify upon how to make the game better and improve it, but I don't want to give them a free pass yeah, for not having done that yet. You know, I, I think you know that's that's absolutely you doing your job basically, mm. and like uh, nonetheless, uh, a very compelling first sort of eight to ten hours. Yeah, of, definitely. Uh, like they, there is some really good stuff in there, and like really strong scenario writing, really strong exploration, really play. quite a gorgeous looking game as well. Yeah, yeah. Like the battles look fantastic. If you are playing a military empire, that would be great because yeah. yeah you get some great battles and you get you get a, a mid to late game that will that is completely set up for that style of play like sure. but but yeah there are some definite problems um i also have some issues with like every late game is supposed to have a crisis that appears that um shakes like <clears> the world <throat> up and, and kind of, to an extent upsets the status quo that you know has been forming throughout the past hundred years or so of in-game time and I find, like, in my main game, that actually worked against everything that was happening. Because, I, you know, at least at the time, you know, wars were being declared. People were getting angry at what I was doing, uh, the fact that I was declaring wars on this guy or that guy. And then this, this crisis happened. This faction called the Unbidden appeared out of a wormhole from another dimension and started pouring out onto the map. And as soon as that happened, the, that threat was considered so big by the AI that they stopped declaring wars on everybody else, like on each other or on me. And that meant I was just free <clears> to pick wars on them, and they wouldn't like even after the even after they'd um, surrendered and I'd taken their territory, they liked me still. What I like about that is it's basically uh, Independence oh, Day. Oh, I was going to say the premise of Mass Effect has arrived. Oh, I was yeah, say the premise of Independence <laughs> Day as well. Well, yeah, the Reapers are here now, so we've all got to get together and sort them out. And yeah. you're like, well, I'm going to kill you all now. Yeah, that's it. Like, everyone else is like, oh yeah, well, let's we need to solve this problem. And I'm like, oh, I, yeah. I don't. It's on the other end of the galaxy, and they seem to have stopped expanding. So I'm just going to take your territory. <laughs> But now, now, now I've finally expanded to the point where I, in my main game, where I could attack the Unbidden. Like, I've got a direct route into them. Part of the reason I had to attack people was because I had no way of actually sending my military fleets to them. So it was just a, a case of, if you want me to help you deal with this problem, I have to declare war with you and steal your planets because you won't let my military fleets through, you idiots. Okay, well, that is a problem. That's pretty bad AI. Okay. But now I'm pushing in with my military fleets, and I'm just realising... There's no way to get any AI players to help me. Like it's meant to be a galactic crisis, so you'd think the solution would be a galactic one. Where it would be everybody coming together to defeat this force. I can't do that because you can't declare war with the Unbidden. It's just, it's just assumed you are at war with them. That you can always attack them. There's no diplomacy with them. But that means I can't say to another AI player, "I'm gonna, I'm literally sending my ships in now. Do you want to join me?" Hmm. So I'm the only one who is going to send ships into this thing. So. Essentially, my current option in this campaign is either I send in my ships, um, or I have to send in my ships and destroy this unbidden faction. And the only result of doing that is that the current positive opinion bonus that everyone has with me will disappear, and they'll go back to hating me for all the wars that I did. Oh. It's like there is no win state for me for this. There is no. There's no good option. 
Well, I guess we'll keep an eye on Stellaris. And, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it's patched and updated. Uh, yeah, and we'll cover it. Like, that isn't necessarily representative of how everyone, every game goes. It just seems to be like all all the poor decisions that can possibly trigger triggered within that campaign specifically. Yeah. And it, yeah, so that was a particularly kind of... The random nature of the game means that your game could end up being like that. And it's really disappointing when it happens. Hmm. Um, okay, interesting. Um, cool, we're going to take a brief break then and we'll be back with a little bit of news and then uh, some reader questions. Welcome back. Here's some news and then a reader question. News? Um, Ooh, yeah, we're doing news. Yeah, we're doing news for a change, um, basically because Phil insisted. And by insisted, I mean he put it in an email. Um, uh, just, yeah, so, some things have been announced. Yeah, Let's some talk things, about them. Yes. Um, so it's actually been a fairly busy uh, a month or so for PC games. We had uh, Dawn of War 3 announced, uh, which uh, Tom came on the podcast and talked about a few mm. weeks ago, if you want to listen to that. And uh, yeah, they also announced a big PC sequel, Civilization VI, uh, last week. Um, now... Uh, it's a little bit sudden. I mean, it, it feels like it's when, a bit when, out when of the blue, f- isn't it? When did it? five yeah. come out? Like 2012, I think five came out. Yes, let's pretend I know. And <laughs> I agree with you. And then um, Civ Four was about I don't know 2007 ish around that time. Um, I should have those that information to hand, but I don't. Um, but normally it feels like there's a little bit more time between them. Um, you know, Civ only really kind of felt complete in about late 2013, I think, when all the... Mm-hmm. Um, and they made Beyond Earth in that um, time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it feels like it's yeah. become a more regular series. Um, and, uh, yeah, Phil, you ch- chatted to uh, Firaxis a little bit about uh, Civ Six. What yeah. can people expect from this one? So I think, that it, it, as with previous Civ sequels, it's not going to be a complete... They're not. They're not going to reinvent anything. Like revolutionize. I've never seen this before in a four X type of thing. What they've done is they've taken Civ as as you know it and possibly love it, and thought, okay, well, what would what would be sensible changes that will create something that is better, um, better or simpler or whatever. Like some of the big ones this time is one of Civ Five's big features was uh, it it stopped you stacking all your military into one tile. Like these big stacks of doom that just roamed around and killed everything. Every every military unit had to be on a single tile, uh, and that meant the game became about positioning of military, and it, it gave a bit more sort of tactics and depth to to the military side of it. Mm. This time they're saying they want to do that for cities. Like they they want to take that kind of um, philosophy and apply it to the economic side of the game. So each city uh, will be made up of districts, and those districts will be like a spec towards a certain thing. You'll have your science district, and that will contain your libraries and um, your science campus and that sort of thing. Is that represented as a tile separate to the city that, tile? Yeah, that, exactly. That, that, is, the, that district will be on its own tile. It will have its own distinct look. Um, Wonders will have their tile. Like Industry will have a tile. Harbours, that will be a separate tile. Does that mean you can invade certain parts of different cities? Yeah, you can bombard specific parts of cities. Like, say you wanted to wipe out... Um, Fuck you, science. Yeah. Take out the science campus. <laughs> You're probably more likely to do it for produ- like military production and industry and that. But if you really hate science... <laughs> for instance, if a, if a rival civ is getting close to a science victory, you've got a way of doing something about that by specifically t- targeting their science sectors. Because you'll be able to, at a glance, 
see which city is producing the most science research output. Mm. And yeah, you can invade that or bomb it or specifically take out like their most powerful areas. And you in defense can basically rally troops to every one of those tiles to defend districts? Okay, well, so you do have to be a lot more conscious of your... Of your city's kind of weak and, points, there. and to an extent, it's quite yeah, a lot of management. It, it does. It's going to give each of your cities a bit more personality as well. They're not just going to be these sort of blobs of population. Mm. You're going to have, you know, uh, the, the specific thing they said is, oh, you know, you'll be able to easily identify and create your Birmingham, the place that has. I was about to say Birmingham. <laughs> do, uh, do you know why? Because I was thinking like a little uh, city that could. It's that thing. <laughs> I was about to say like, uh, yeah, it's that whole thing about if you build the ha- the Hanging Gardens of Babylon in Birmingham, <laughs> which you can do in Civ. Yes. Like uh, that. That's sort of like uh, <laughs> that incongruous thing where like it's. So, I guess it's sort of like personality, but it also makes no sense. Like, uh, yeah. Well, so you can, if you have like a town that has loads of shipping or shipping industry you can like make your own that's that's defines that town whereas one city might be a center of industry one yeah might. welcome yeah. to cardiff yeah. uh, the pyramids yeah. <laughs> i like a lot a lot of city players try and do that anyway as they do have okay that's going to be it's easier if i make this my industry city and put that but there's been no visual representation of it really and that yeah. means what <clears throat> what happens when i play civ is i get really confused about what city's doing what and i just make arbitrary choices that make no sense yeah I, whereas I, yeah, I always do the same thing, basically, mm. which is just, uh, okay, just zoom between cities. They know they're not building anything. They're not build, 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 yeah, build, build, build. Click, yeah. click Keep building it. tanks. Let's carry on. Yeah. I always say, here you would say, okay, well, uh, if this is my industry city, uh, then maybe it should be doing this or this, and it will probably get bonuses based on picking, like, you know, things that synchronize with that. Because another part of it is that there's going to be more bonuses based on resource tiles and stuff like that. Um, and that's going to define your city because uh, the, the the example they said was build your science districts next to a mountain and you'll be able to build observatories and get the boost for science there. Or your other option is maybe build something, you know, build a religious district there and the mountain will be a place for worship. And Yeah, well, that's interesting. So, so there are different choices based on where you're on the map, based on certain resources. Um, the, the ultimate aim, like the thing that everything this feeds back into is... Civ Five has a really established meta um, where, like, its best players are really good at min-maxing it, just based on not based on what they generate in the campaign, but based on just the arbitrary rules of that game right. and what they've worked out. With Civ Six, what they really want to do is make something that where where you start and what your surrounding tiles are, where your starting city is, what resources are around, um, that has a real effect on your strategy for that game. Um, like another way they're doing this is with active research, where you get research bonuses for doing things that for doing things that you um, that, that make sense within the context of that research. They said, okay, so if you want to research masonry, you're going to get huge boosts to that. If you have a quarry, if you want to research naval stuff, if you're, I mean, in Civ Five, you can you're just as good at naval research if you're completely landlocked as you are if you've got all your cities along a coast. That's very true, actually. Whereas yeah. in Civ Six, they're saying, okay, you get huge research bonuses if you are actually on the coast and actively doing something to help that research along. With my with my critical hat on, though, in all honesty, mm. I don't really think that the difference in sort of tiles with Civ Five really improved or changed that game fundamentally over Civ 4 in any particularly interesting way. And all of what you described sound like interesting additions, but I don't know how they necessarily make the moment-to-moment play feel more satisfying or interesting. Mm. They seem like more parameters to be conscious of, but 
they don't sound necessarily like fun features or interesting places for the series to go. Is that a bit too harsh? Um, well, that might be a little bit harsh. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, I guess I just don't know what that is. Like, I, I was kind of hoping they'd have like revamped diplomacy that had a little bit more depth to it. Or if you were to do a, let's say you were going for an economic victory, that would offer you interactions that were as interesting as uh, a military victory, which mm. has always been a problem that Civs have. Like, the military victory has always there, been more fun. There are definitely problems within the 4X structure, uh, Civ specifically, but, you know, with many 4X games that that haven't been solved satisfactorily yet. And based on, like, all we've got at the moment is an overview of these sort of key features. Yeah, it's um, early on. We'll be, we'll be seeing more of it uh, quite soon, actually. We should have some more information on the website next week. Yeah. Um, I think the embargo is. So hopefully we'll be able to find out, you know, more about the moment-to-moment interactions and, and what else they're doing with Civ Six to make it yeah. worthwhile. All they've really done so far is an announcement and a little yeah. bit of follow-up information. Um, um, yeah, d- d- hopefully they'll be pushing diplomacy and stuff like that a bit more. What What is promising is, like, um, so this team um, is being... It's mostly the team that worked on Civ Five's expansions, uh, Gods and Kings and Brave New World, and now they're coming in Civ Six. And it seems like this. What I, what I saw them um, say was basically, you'll have all the Civ Five features. With it. it's not going to be like, oh, now there's Civ Six will come with less features than Civ Five because it doesn't feature the DLC or whatever. Which but Five did a bit versus Five four. absolutely did that yeah, versus yeah. Four with expansions. So mm. hopefully this will be you know a really strong Civ basis. Mm. Uh, and then from there, I'm sure it'll be expanded beyond. And but yeah, hopefully, like their knowledge of of this, of working with Five so closely, has given them a really good good yeah. understanding of what needs to be done. Yeah, that's good. Well, the thing is, Civ is fundamentally always fun to play. That's mm. never been a, a, a problem uh, for for the for, for access. So uh, yeah, well, yeah, Civ's always been really compelling to play. I, you're right. Like the moment to moment interactions aren't necessarily always fun. Sometimes you are just sort of. Well, I just, existing in an endless bubble of strategy. Well, like I do, yeah, I don't, I don't know if any of the things that brought me uh, joy in uh, Civ Two has have really been surpassed by either Civ Four and Five. They've become more refined and mm. balanced and in depth, but um, they haven't really gone anywhere in terms of like, uh, you know. I guess with Civ Five, like, then you say you usually do like culture or science victories or whatever. Have you, have you done much in the way of the military? Because that seemed to be the, the um, big push for Civ Five. Uh, a bit mm. but the, the the that always comes out of um how good i well i mean everyone can be good at this but playing the economic victory yeah building uh making sure you've got a market then a bank in every every city totally. and by that point you've got so much money that you can just buy all the tanks you want anyway yeah, and get a military victory um and so yeah i just sort of like uh i know more more ways to solve things in interesting in interesting fashion so if i like while it while it had the one unit per tar thing for the military that did get quite old when you had too many tanks like uh, after yeah. a while you got to a stage where you just had too much military and you had to move each unit individually every turn it was just just like holy crap I yeah. cannot be bothered hmm. um, at least uh, with that with this one they're bringing in support units so things like anti-air guns and um, siege tanks that sort of thing will just integrate into an existing unit it's not full stack but you will be able to augment your units with other things that would in Civ 5 be their own tile so it should be a little less busy work heavy yeah yeah okay interesting yeah, yeah, I mean, a, a Civ is always a you know a pleasure. I know that people are a bit more divided on Beyond Earth, and to be honest, I've not really played that. But like, uh, yeah, um, I, I look forward to hearing more. Hmm. Uh, we'll talk about it in a future episode, I'm sure. You'll notice Andy said nothing throughout most of that because once again, Andy doesn't care about strategy games. You're not yeah. much of a Civ guy, Andy. Um, 
I do. I've never finished the Civ campaign because I always get to the point where there's so many cities and I'm just gone between each city, updating research, updating building, and I just and it once I get off, to like it? about eight cities, you're like this is just too much micromanagement. And yeah. the fact that now I'm, I'll be managing eight cities plus. Uh, eight districts within each city makes me go. Uh, oh, multiple districts, Andy. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, multiple. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure it'd be good. It's just not. It's just not for me. <laughs> I am. Um, I, I guess with like kind of bigger uh, cities represented on the map, hopefully you'll get some more interesting effects when you mm. nuke one of them. Um, because yeah, that's true. That's that's always the fun thing for me. Like uh, if I drop a nuke on this place, what happens to it? What happens <laughs> yeah. if I nuke Birmingham? What happens to the <laughs> science district? Uh, <laughs> it's worth Birmingham's out. famous science district. I asked for access based on. Um, Based on them saying that, that how they're improving diplomacy and stuff, and uh, how how each each AI AI leader will have like a historical agenda that uh, tries to make them act a bit like they would in real life. Based on Siv's history with Gandhi and how he's always been a little bit more aggressive than say the real world version of Gandhi Just a has been. Bit. I asked for access. Well, okay, <clears throat> if you want it to make it more historical, is he still going to be quite nuke happy? And they said. The quote was something along the lines of, we have a plan for Gandhi. He'll start off nice and friendly, but there's a dark side there. <laughs> Which is it's so an amazing weird, thing to say real, about Gandhi. Yeah, it's like, you forget it's like a real person. And yeah. <laughs> it turned into this ludicrous yeah. construct. It's like that um, that Futurama episode with evil Lincoln, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Well, uh, I, I, I look forward to hearing more. But uh, they've also announced that uh, Battlefield 1 is coming out. Uh, EA and DICE have announced. They've announced the, the first Battlefield. Yes, Battlefield 1, um, which has the same naming convention as the third Xbox, which is called <laughs> Xbox One. Um, for reasons that uh, I've never been clear no, on and this, clearly have not worked in their favour. But, um, yeah, so this is uh, during the Great War, uh, apparently. Although, if you look at the screenshots, it looks nothing like it's the... It's like uh, a cartoon version of it. This yeah. It looks doing, like a steampunk version. Yeah, like people doing stunts and red biplanes. Like and, the, the box cover lead character wear a cape. Yeah. And isn't he carrying like a, some kind of like a mace. mace? Yeah, he's yeah. got a mace and a cape. And he looks oh, bad. Hey, but... hey, people have been pointing out if that's historically accurate, don't yeah. you? Yeah. Know? Yeah. Is it though? Is it? I don't. Well, they I, had maces. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. Maces re- existed. I don't remember reading about maces in bloody, you know, uh, the poetry of Siegfried Sassoon. Or, that's, you know. because, uh, that's because at school, World War One isn't allowed to sound exciting. <laughs> no. no wars are allowed to sound exciting. Otherwise, you'd go, wow, war. That's cool. Yeah. I just, uh, I, I must say that studying uh, World War One poetry was one of the, the great miserable experiences yeah. of, my, as, of my life. As a British, as British youths, we have been conditioned to view World War One as harrowing and dull. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah. So there was some kind of like, I've found I've seen about nine. Op-eds about <laughs> it was okay to make a game about this and uh, like uh, making a game about World War Two, which is apparently a barrel of laughs, is absolutely fine. Um, but uh, do you have any kind of thoughts or opinions on that issue? In fact, I regret even bringing it up. Uh, Should well, we talk about something else? Yeah, it just seems like <laughs> it's a cl- World War Two's off the hook because everyone made a World War Two game before yeah. before video game think pieces <laughs> existed. <laughs> The Medal of Honours here has existed before op-eds, so <laughs> so it's been so nobody's really sat back and thought. Wait, was it all right that we did that? When was the dawn of op-eds? Was it with the, the fir- <laughs> was it the first use of the term ludonarrative dissonance? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was the when, dawn of the op-ed. when Clint Hocking <laughs> invented the term ludonarrative dissonance. The, the, the think piece like, was born. I've had these opinions this whole time, yeah. and I, now I've written them down. I originally <laughs> had a bit of a in my head World War One's worse than World War II, even though they were both harrowing wastes of human life. But um, it's sort of... It's enough of a cartoon version of it, and I think it's alright to use harrowing uh, world events 
in a stylistic way, if you know what I mean. Like it's taken, like Inglorious Bastards does. With, yeah, yeah. I think that that is a perfect example of it, actually. I think what Inglorious Bastards makes something pulpy and fun out of something inherently grim. Mm. I, I think, think that's fine, yeah, unless let's... you go the way of that terrible um, gearbox attempt to do a ca- cartoon. Oh, the brothers, brothers in Arms. In arms. Furious Four, Furious Five, Five, Furious Five. That sounds like something you do in your uh, hotel room. <laughs> that, that was never released. When you're was bored. It? It just, just... <laughs> oh, but yeah. But that, that, that's, <laughs> an, that's an idea of doing it terribly. I like, have no taste really in doing it. In a well, that never way. came out, did it? Yeah. No, probably because people were, like complaining that it's, I think okay, it handled ineptly. I think yeah. with stuff like this, let's 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 dice release the game and then let's see what the game's like and then yeah. let's do our op-eds. The yeah. tone of the trailer is very <laughs> like it's it is a hyper real uh, exaggerated stylized it takes to create the stylistic touch points of World War One <laughs> and creates yeah. and takes them in a ludicrous direction right. with giant zeppelins what, and, yeah it does not yeah. I don't think it even claims to be like historically no. authentic I like say like there's a game called um, Verdun that's out on Steam right now Trench uh, Warfare it, shoot, it's, yeah. it's a World War One Trench Warfare multiplayer game um, and that exists and you can play it and if you're going to do a, a big op-ed about the meaning of war and respecting heroes and that I think Verdun t- treats it with a bit of um, uh, it's it's still an FPS but it treats it with a bit of it's a bit somber in I tone. don't think it treats it with any like, I think it's, isn't it? it's, it's, it's I've seen footage of it it was very grey yeah, no, no, that's, yeah. that's, that, that's just a bad art style <laughs> no but it looks no, it, 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 it looks grilling though you, it's very easy to die you know it's, it's grueling and it's unpleasant whereas Battlefield 1 looks like what a wicked time in my red biplane with my cape. It's very sunny as well, isn't it? It's like quite nice weather. And like <laughs> yeah. whenever they show, uh, it always looks like it was grey and muddy and rainy. You know, um, it's I, like a tone distinction there, though, between like Red Orchestra and um, one of the World War Two battlefields. Yeah. It, it's a very different thing within within a genre that Ver- uh, Verdun's actually kind of fun i played it a little bit egx yeah. uh, 2014 that's kind of fun it does look a bit more like what we would uh, associate with the imagery of uh, mm. of the great war whereas yeah this is just so off the chain like yeah. uh it's Which just like yeah it's fine it can be done well that and it can be done badly so i think they've they, we've not seen the game yet yeah exactly also i'm unlikely to play it that's the truth of the matter yeah, i'm not same here I, 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 it's, just like, oh, it. it's just a new context in which to be uh, in which to be spawn sniped. So great, <laughs> yeah. you to, have the, to have the you run for the biplane and some shit <laughs> gets in it before you. Yeah, or just manages to like land his horse on you and like uh, kill you instantly. Yeah, ten, yeah as soon great. as you start the match, twenty players run for the nearest horse. Yeah, and, you, and you'll never you'll never be first. You're always the last one there. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! It, it does. It it looks uh, that looks more fun to me than Battlefield Four did. Well, I did like the Levolution stuff in Battlefield Four, but the, <laughs> the whole like modern uh, sort of setting thing wasn't that interesting hey, to me. But like maybe uh, we'll, maybe we'll have some Levolution in Battlefield One. Maybe those trenches will deform real good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or it turns out that uh, yeah, I don't know. Like uh, maybe there's a creature living underneath <laughs> it that just gets up. <laughs> Punches a zeppelin. Oh out yeah, the sky. They, they do like putting krakens and stuff in their games, which I think they? is really cool and more what they should be doing in these games. But um, that's probably just me ruining <laughs> Battlefield for people who actually <laughs> like it. Um, but yeah, I, I look forward to uh, to hearing more on that and probably playing at E3 in uh, in a few weeks. So uh, yeah, good stuff. 
Um, so we don't have more than like one reader question this time. Actually, no, I guess we do, but they're all from the same person. Yeah, we didn't even um, ask. We had a lot of games to talk about. Yeah, we thought we'd give our uh, beloved Twitter followers a week off from asking <laughs> us uh, w- what graphics card should I buy. The answer is a 970, okay? Stop asking me about it. Don't. That. Not now. <laughs> not, not now. Not no, no, true, we literally know at this we point, know now, now yeah. is not the time to upgrade yeah, that's your true, graphics yeah. card. Yeah, that's true. We yeah. finally have a definitive answer. <laughs> Wait till the end of the month and the start of June and you get yourself a 1070 or a 1080. Are there 10? I've got my eye on the 1080. Actually, yeah, yeah, I've got my eye on the It's not like a big enough price wait, difference to, for it to not be a... Yeah, wait yeah. for PC gamers' benchmarks before, you know, because NVIDIA have made wild claims about it, but you won't know for sure until we benchmark oh, those until we've, yeah. until we've made that definitive. Yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, yeah, so that's, that's all good advice. Uh, so, uh, yeah, pay attention to PCGamer.com, where in the coming weeks we'll have more on the new NVIDIA cards. Um, but, yeah, we got a really nice uh, email from Andrew Robinson Hodges. A.K.A. AKA Fluid Druid. Which is which uh, sounds filthy, name. but uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's uh, very, very good. Um, hi guys, I have a few questions for the podcast. I was wondering if you would mind spending some time to talk about the game reviewing process and if slash how that has changed over the years as the industry has evolved. Following on from that, you've talked a bit about your own playing habits, influences, and interests, especially in episode seven. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on how they tie in with the way you produce reviews to the web, web, website and magazine. So we is like a uh, one more question after that, which we'll we'll get to later, but. Um, that seems like a fairly big thing to start off with. Um, yeah. Like me and Andy, I guess, have been in the games media for longer than anyone else. Um, like for, uh, <laughs> yeah, twelve years for me. Yeah, not coming twelve up years to 10, down the word mines. My, my, yeah. By March twenty seventeen, that will be uh, ten years for me. So I'm uh, I'm still twenty eight though, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I started really early. And so did you, Andy? How, yeah. old, how old were you when you I started? Was 18. Eighteen. When you younger than that though? No. I'm sure you would say you were 17 some, or something. I'm 30 now. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. I guess you know your own life. I don't even know why I'm rushing it. <laughs> I, can, I can barely remember, though. It's all a haze. <laughs> uh, so, Phil, you've been around for, what, like four or so years Probably about now? four years now, yeah. Do you think in that time the games reviewing process has changed much? Um, hmm. I think, yeah. Uh, in terms of, like, on, on a wider scale, there's definitely, like, more voices, which means more people are producing reviews with different purposes i think in terms of what pc gamer does and what i do specifically it's it's still i just play a game and then once i've played the game i go did i like that game and then i write words down yeah and those <laughs> words tell the reader whether i liked the game or not yeah like it feels like the um the template for a pc game review has been set in uh stones for as long as the magazine's been running really i think some people have some really sort of high fluting ideas of like the critical process and what a review should be and what we should do as critical outlets but i think i still view reviews as a very utilitarian thing um i think above and beyond what they should really do is tell the reader whether they should buy a game they don't own yet yeah like i just for me reviews are still that very very like buyer's guide have a purpose that's what they're there for and within that you can you know have actual critical analysis because you know that that is relevant to a reader's interest but yeah it's funny because we we benefit quite a lot from having a very well-defined um critical voice in terms of what the magazine uh has always been about Mm. so we've all got a really good idea of what pc gamer stands for and if you uh you read uh, the magazine regularly as uh, andrew does then um, you'll have a very good idea of what that is andy um you've been in the industry longer like in your time, does it feel like the review process has changed much? Um, mostly the process by which you get sent games and the relationships with, you know, the people that supply the codes and review code and stuff like that. 
Um, now you get a lot more games turning up on release day, yeah. um, which never, which rarely used to happen. And and it's not back when I started. When that happened, you almost were certain the game was a stinker, and mm. they were holding back review codes so you wouldn't say it was a stinker. But whereas an example of Doom, we didn't get review code till Doom came out, and Doom's really good. So that's a different thing. I think maybe publishers want to be more in control of their game and how it's it's presented. Yeah. to people and you know we're like a bit of a wild card in that respect where we can get the game and say anything we want so they're like we must control um you know yeah so oh, but, but, in, in the case of doom we we were we still thought well the fact that we haven't got it early that still sowed some seeds of doubt that yeah. does happen like, it's, there, it's, it's, if still you look happen, at like last year time. things like arkham knight and um assassin's creed the year before was it unity was the one that was yep. oh, no it was actually far cry we didn't get code for as well uh, but yeah. that turned out to be good but that turned out to be but good then you got but quantum break which we didn't get review code for that, and it turned out to be one of the worst PC versions ever. Terrible, yeah. Um, yeah. So it, 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 um, it, that does still happen. That the fact that review code gets held, held back could because it's a stinker. But sometimes it doesn't. So that happens a lot, a lot more these days than when I started. But the actual process of reviewing a game has always been the same for me from the very first review I did, which is you just sit down and play it until you feel like you're at a point where you can go. Yeah, you should buy that. Yeah, this is yeah. X, X percent yeah. good. And if there's any reasons why it's not good, you just you just critique it. You just go, here's why it's here. Are things it does well. Here are things it does not so well. It's it's very simple. Sure, but I mean, both of you have worked for numerous outlets, though. Like, is, is there a difference in how PC Gamer does it to other yeah. magazines? Well, it's more. You, be, yeah, well, I used to work in a magazine where you wrote we the royal we <laughs> went. We think this. We think that. And yeah, I used to hit too. that. Whereas PC Gamer, you feel like you're just. You, you, it's very personal. That's what I like about writing for us. Is you can just say, "I thought this, and I think this," and you can, you, you don't have to be some sort of like this uh, mythical, passive, objective voice that is just boring to read yeah, and, do, and doesn't exist. Still, do occasional pieces for for outlets that have that. that yeah, yeah, and I've, it's really yeah. weird when you want to tell a personal anecdote because you know that's what we do a lot in our reviews. You know, yeah, saying we touches, felt this. But, yeah, but the the idea that the entire magazine team is stood around the computer yeah. making. I remember the, uh, the 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 time this happened, and I was on another magazine that like uh, that that made no sense. Was when I was on the set of The Walking Dead season two, and I said <laughs> "we ducked" as the boom mic swung round. You just picture like five guys ducking at once, and I was like, "That makes no sense at all." Um, but yeah, like uh, I think people who read magazines that have that eventually adjust to that style. But as a writer, it's mm. when you're writing a first person, it's so much easier to to for your personality to come out. I think. Yeah. And I think one thing that's never, this is only me personally, is that um, people, the thing people get hung up most on reviews is the score. And that is the thing I spend the least time thinking about. Yeah. Like I'll spend, I'll, I'll spend, you know, a couple of days crafting a review and make sure all the points are, and then I'll just come up with a number in like a second and just stick it on, which is what I feel. Whereas people get so hung up, like that is the most important part of the review. And, and my, to me, it's always been the least important part of it. What I will say is that like, um, the, the longer I've been in the industry, the, the better I feel I am at, I mean, just this happens with anything, but the longer I do it, the better I am at calling it on scores and points for criticism as well. Yeah. Like uh, there's definitely some scores from, my early days in the industry where I'm like, that was a bit too high. Like, that's an experience thing, I guess. That's why I'm, I can so easily come up with a number on the end of a review because I instinctively know what, yeah. it, what it should be. Yeah, the, the first big yeah. review I ever did was for uh, Play Magazine, which was um, PlayStation Magazine, and I reviewed The Darkness, which I gave 92%, which in retrospect was about 10% too high. Yeah. And I, re I reviewed um, Metal Gear Solid 4 as well, and I gave that 91%, which I... I don't know if that's necessarily wrong, but the cutscenes are so egregious in that. I, I give it 90. 
And yeah, <laughs> just to make you feel better. <laughs> and so, and and uh, there's also a thing where like. Um, at the time, it just feels different to, to. I mean, five years pass in the games industry, and everything can change. Like yeah. MGS Four feels like it's a game from another era now. You know, and you're no one would make a game like that now. You're a different human as well. You're, yeah. you know, your your mind changes. What I thought about games when I started when I was eighteen, uh, it's completely different from what I think about them now in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. You, you develop it. The longer you do this, you develop more of an appreciation for the craft of actual, of game design and stuff like that, and that, and inevitably affects you criticism yeah it's sort of like that's the one thing i will say actually is that it, it feels less like i, I think this might be the, to do with the rise of indie developers and how uh, transparent people are and how they make games now but like it's less of a sport to rag on bad games which is it certainly felt like it was funny to make fun of yeah tr- mm. terrible games and like that's it, a good it, observation actually yeah, yeah. yeah. and it, it still can be funny but like um at the same time, I mean, you know, obviously criticism is completely fair, but but now I understand that making a game is harder than anything I've ever had to do. You yeah, know? yeah, that that's the thing with with yeah, like slagging off a game was like something I used to revel in when I started because you used to have you have to be creative and be mean in creative ways. But now with an indie game, especially if I follow the devs on Twitter or I've interviewed them before, you, you see the human behind it, and it gets hard. It gets less fun to slag a game <laughs> off. Yeah, I also think there's a sense that like. Entire uh, an entire YouTube industry exists around negative personas that slag off games for whatever small nitpick like that that only exists to really dial into the <laughs> look at this piece of shit I found on Steam. Yeah, and it's yeah. like that's not. I mean, so, uh, some will argue, okay, well that serves like a valid purpose as criticism, but at the same time, none of these are games people are in danger of buying. No one was gonna. Yeah. And like uh, to, to to some extent, I've always considered like PCG is a is an advocate for uh, PC gaming, and like obviously, yeah. you know, we want to be discerning about the games that people buy. But at the same time, like it's uh, I don't, it's about celebrating the yeah, like, medium where possible. So you want to give oxygen to the games that deserve it, relative to the games that don't. The know? reason I think the reason we brought in like a regular series called Why I Love, in which we write about things that we love, is. To an extent, it's harder to write about things positively than it is to write about things negatively. Mm. Like negative reviews, you know, people you, you see it all the time. Like you just sort of let the hate throw th- flow through you, and you've got this. Now, a quote from Star Wars, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll, just allow me this no, one. Yeah, it's, uh, I said it's that brief. earlier about um, something I was working on. Did you subconsciously pick? Maybe up I did. Me? I said, yeah, something wasn't working earlier, and I said the hate is flowing through me. So it's, uh, I know, so it's entirely apps. Carry on. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you've just got this like the X hundred words or X minutes of video about just kicking something, whereas actually saying why you really, really value something mm-hmm. is, you know, to an extent, you've got to be more considered, and you can't you can't just fall down on like the comedy tropes of <laughs> look at this piece of shit. Yeah, because like also Steam reviews now are like another place where if you want to find like you know uh, out outrage and negativity and like low grade patter, yeah, and really yeah. low grade patter. That and Urban Dictionary Steam reviews, <laughs> negative Steam reviews. Like yeah. there's, there's more failed comedians in negative Steam reviews than Urban Dictionary than yeah. anywhere else in the world. Um, this, and yeah. so the, the death of the death of Bounce Macabre. <laughs> <laughs> I've been uh, wanting to say that since you said Dance Macabre earlier. <laughs> Um, That's the it, podcast title. Isn't that what the uh, isn't that the um, the big word that Tom used for Grim Fandango? Which was, oh, it was, uh, which was yes. amazing, which is a really good call. God, I'm just subconsciously stealing things left, right. It's uh, it's funny though. I I I look back at my early reviews and they were terrible. Um, but like, uh, I think 
uh, I've sort of worked on a, a bunch of magazines that I'm actually like really proud of the work I did there. But like um, PCG is the one that's been around the longest, and hmm. it's the one coming into it where like I a lot of the writers here go on to do quite amazing things, or they're well regarded in the industry, yeah. or whatever. Um, and so there's a certain pressure from that to not muck it up. <laughs> and that's been like, uh, I think that's the thing that made me manage to do the editor job is that like, uh, I just, I, I had that in mm. mind. Like I'm very aware of it. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think we all to some extent are aware of PCG's legacy, you know. And uh, yeah, God, that got a bit, bit in depth, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, sorry, apologies if that's a bit inside baseball, but hopefully that's a little bit, um, a, a little bit kind of interesting in terms of how, we see ourselves as critics um i would hope so but yeah. uh, the other question um that andrew asks is finally i've come to realize that in terms of taste and attitude to games and possibly life andy kelly might be my spirit animal should i be worried and if so what should i do <laughs> sounds a bit uh sinister at the end there. <laughs> how do i make it stop <laughs> with a knife no, I'm joking, fluid dread. No, what you do is you get a VR headset and you go to the abyss and, then, and you stare, <laughs> Just into, stare it. into it. Um, that or yeah, what, what, watch the watch the complete run of Twin Peaks and Seinfeld yeah. until yeah. And, and until your until your spirit animal is sated. I like the idea of being a I like the idea of being a spirit animal, like appearing like that deer in Life is Strange, just to sort of guide you mystically between <laughs> things. It's funny because uh, I I can I see why people I think quite a lot of people uh, see that you in, in them, Andy, without it sounding too like weird or like a read a Disney film or something. Because I'm a every man, relatable every man, yeah. Like um I don't know. I can't, I can't think of a, a relatable. I can't every think man. of an every man. <laughs> well, it's like you've got um you've got uh, <laughs> 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 that was a, he's not a relatable every man. He's a, a relatable alcoholic. But where did that come from? I don't know, I was trying to think of a relatable every man. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, you've um, you, you've got uh, good opinions on things. You're quite prolific, aren't you? Like, uh, you know, you 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 don't tweet unless you think it's a good a good. Uh, you're doing good Twitter game. Um, like it's uh, yeah. I can yeah. see why people would think that. But um, well, thanks. <laughs> thanks, fluid Drew. You too can be Andy Kelly uh, by following these steps. You should do like a ten step program. It's hundred pounds yeah. to join the course. Um, I also wanted to let you know that I'm thoroughly enjoying the podcast. I recently realised that I've been reading PC Gamer for nearly twenty years, which is amazing. Um, but oh, this wow. is the first time I've heard any of the writers' voices. The uh, show is thoroughly entertaining, really informative, and a fantastic compliment to the magazine. I don't even need to read that bit out, really, yeah. but it's very nice. Cheers. But, um, it's a, that's a that's a really nice uh, sort of like uh, you know in depth question to ask, and mm, like yeah. if. If you uh, want to send through anything like that, it's uh, pcgamer at futurenet.com. Uh, we welcome your emails and uh, and feedback, even if you don't like the show, which uh, is entirely possible, um, but hopefully not the case. And uh, yeah, if you want to get us on, on the Twitters, I, I'm Samuel W. Roberts on Twitter, Phil. Uh, I'm at Octader, O-C-T-A-E-D-E-R. And I'm at Ultra Brilliant. Yep, so uh, yep, follow us, tweet us, whatever, and we'll be back next week uh, with some Dishonored 2 chatter from Chris Thurston, and uh, all will be well. And uh, yeah, catch you soon.